So the title is The Heavenly is Greater Than the Earthly. This chapter is going to summarize the teaching uh, that Jesus is a superior priest. He's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and he is greater than that. We're going to be informed that the, the prophets anticipated a new covenant. So God had been working in one way since the days of Moses when that covenant was given. But the prophets later began to speak of something new that God was going to bring in. And so if God's going to bring something in new, then the old is going to have to pass away. If something old is going to be replaced by something new, then the idea is that the new is better than the old. And that certainly is the case with the new covenant versus the old covenant. And then lastly, um, this old covenant has become obsolete. Not only is the new bringing in better, but the old has been hung up. It's, it's out with the old, it's in with the new. And we don't go back to the old, and this is the threat that the believers, that Paul was writing to in the book, or whoever was the author, writing to the book of Hebrews, this was a challenge. This was a thing that was a threat to, to them. So we're going to begin Looking, we're going to move kind of quickly through this. We have communion. I want us to have a chance to respond in our hearts to these things this morning. But we begin in verses 1 through 6 where we see that Jesus ministers as a high priest in heaven. So let's read those verses. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary. And of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed, when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, that it would be Jesus, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which has established, which is, was established on better promises. So we begin looking at verse 1, where we see that Jesus is seated in the heavens. This is how the book of Hebrews opened up, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Having purged our sins, he sat down. It's interesting when you think about the tabernacle, there's a the table of showbread, there's the altar of incense, there's the Ark of the Covenant, there was a veil that separated the two chambers of the holy place, um, <coughs> the menorah, the altar, um, the different washing lavers, but one thing that was not there, was a chair. You didn't find a chair in the temple. Got to get some water here. <clears throat> because the priest's work was never done. I mean, as soon as he finished with one person, <clears throat> he had the next that were rolling in, and the next person after that, day after day. And so the Lord was constantly at work. He was constantly um, ministering until he had finished our work. And once he had finished, <clears throat> he said, it is finished on the cross. And he didn't have to do any more beyond that. And so now in heaven, <coughs> this will pass, don't worry. Just hang with me. <coughs> 
once in heaven. He isn't continuing to offer himself up in sacrifices. He has sat down at the right hand. And just like Jesus was laboring and being about the Father's business until he was taken away, there is a model for us that we minister until we are taken away. Jesus had to be about his Father's business. And he exhorted, (coughs) while there is light, you got to work. You know, if the plow is there and the field needs to be worked on, put your hands on the plow. Don't look back. But one day we're going to be in the presence of the Lord, right? One day, that which he has appointed for us to do, just as Jesus had an appointed task, much superior to ours, much more important than ours, but nonetheless, we'll have a day when we come to the end and we're finished. And we're going to present ourselves to the Lord. And hopefully... We'll be good, we will feel good about that day. That we've lived for him, that we have pressed forward and done all the things that he has called us to do. So Jesus sits in heaven. One day you as well. So don't give up, don't get tired, don't get weary and say, I'm done with this. You're not done with it. If you are hearing my voice, as a believer, you're not done. The Lord has appointed you for good works that he ordained before the foundation of the world. What's that? Before the first day of creation, he had your name on a piece of paper with everything that he was going to have you to do in your lifetime. We need to be faithful all the way to the end. And just like Jesus, we'll have a day to sit (coughs) and rest. In verse 2, We see that he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected. And we're going to come to this again in verse 5. But here, there is a tabernacle that was made on earth. It was given dimensions to Moses. They made it. Solomon built a a physical temple later. Um, Zerubbabel rebuilt it. Herod expanded it. But it was based off the copy. It was basically off the original, and they were making a copy. It wasn't the original. And Jesus ministers in a tabernacle that's not made by man. You can imagine the conversation that was happening in the first century among those Jews that have put their faith and trust in the Lord. And now they're like, well, your high priest, Jesus, who's a son of David, <coughs> and you're saying he's of the order of Melchizedek, Well, where does this Melchizedek do his ministry? And the answer is, well, it's not the one that's made with hands. It's the one that God made in the heavens. He is ministering there. When Jesus offered up himself as a sacrifice, he did not go into the temple and then offer himself up there. He went to the temple that is in heaven. And there the sacrifice was offered up. Look at verses 3 and 4. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. You read the law. We're going through this on Wednesday night. All kinds of sacrifices. They had to offer them up. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, Jesus, also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. According to the law, you had to be a son of Aaron. So he couldn't do that because he is a descendant of, of David, of the tribe of Judah. 
But as a one that's of the order of Melchizedek, he does appear before <clears throat> the Lord, but it's in heaven. And he's making that offer in that true tabernacle, <clears throat> not the copy. And that's what verse 5 zeroes in on. Who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So when Moses got the plans, God gave him plans to build a tabernacle that was the, of the original one. The one that is in heaven. One day you will see it. One day you will set your eyes upon it. But when he was making it, he wasn't able to have, you know, artistic freedom. He wasn't able to freelance. He says, these are the dimensions. This is what it is. Now, obviously, there, there was an element that came into that. But where God spoke and said it should be like this and it should be like that, there was not freedom to change that or to alter that. And so if they're thinking, well, we can't go to the temple anymore. And Jesus wasn't able to go to the temple. The author is saying, he went to the real deal. He didn't go to the shadow. He didn't go to the copy. Think of Colossians 2, <clears throat> verses 16 and 17. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Why? For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So the sacrifices look towards Christ. Now, a shadow tells you that the substance, the reality is near. And so all those sacrifices, all those ceremonies, all of those laws were a shadow. But once the substance has come, once the reality has come, you don't cling to the shadow. You cling to the reality. Jesus is the reality. And not only in that as it relates to the sacrifices, but also as it relates to the place where Jesus was ministering. That temple which adorned the, the temple mount that had the attention of the world was just a shadow. And when Jesus ministered, he ministered according to the order of Melchizedek and he presented himself in heaven, not to the copy, but to the original, all saying, look, this is far superior. So Jesus serves in heaven according to a greater order. He is a greater man. He is, uh, offers greater sacrifices, and he ministers in a greater place. And this is the point. Jesus is superior in every way. <clears throat> Verse 6 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, Inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So, the new covenant that Jesus has brought in, it is superior. It, is, it goes beyond that which they had experienced. The old covenant, it dealt with seed time and harvest. The old covenant dealt with the nation and the civil um, structure of the nation. It talked about boundaries and inheritance of physical land. <clears throat> oh, it talked about faith in God too. But the vast, uh, 
majority of the law was dealing with physical things. But the new covenant is dealing and focusing upon life in the spirit. It's talking about God dwelling within us. It's talking about all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. It's talking about eternal life. It's talking about serving the Lord directly. And so it has become a better covenant. So why would anybody want to go back? Why would you be afraid to leave that old covenant when God has brought something new in? You know, it is easy to understand the emphasis upon the physical because we're earth dwellers, right? I mean, we're earthlings. So anything that's earthly is easy to identify with. If there's an earthly tabernacle and there's sacrifices I can see and there are priests I can see, it's understandable that I would want to cling to that. I can smell it. I can see it. I can taste it. I can touch it. But what the Lord offered up in heaven, you cannot see. You cannot touch it. But oh, we know the reality of it still. It has impacted us. One day we will. <clears throat> but this is what we need to be careful of. Is that we don't live for the physical. Because the Lord has brought us into this spiritual relationship with him. And we don't go to a physical temple. We're not offering up sacrifices. <clears throat> We're to live a life in the spirit. However, like those in the book of Hebrews, we can get caught up on what we see and what is right in front of us. That job, that person, that hobby, <coughs> whatever it might be, that education, that dream that you have. And that becomes what we live for. We're told that we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. We're told to emphasize the spiritual <coughs> And yet many of us find it difficult. We can find it hard to emphasize that. But this is what the Lord has told us to do. Is to seek ye first his kingdom. That everything else is to be somewhere else on the list. But his kingdom and the priorities of living for him are first. Let's keep on reading on. We'll come back to that thought. <clears throat> In verse 7 through 10 we read of the better covenant. It says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. But finding fault with them, not it. Did you notice the change? So you have the covenant. It, you know, it's not a he or she. It's an it. We have a covenant. But the, the, the fault is not with it. It's with them, the people who are part of the covenant. The, the, the covenant, the old uh, Mosaic law, it's not that it was problematic. It's that the people that had to keep it had a problem. What's the problem? Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant <clears throat> with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So there is a new covenant that God's going to bring because there's a problem with the people, which we're going to read about in verses 9 and 10. But this is the, the point. The old covenant was lacking. And, and he speaks of, he begins to quote there at the end of verse 8 from Jeremiah 31. He says, the days are coming. The Lord is announcing that a, a new covenant was coming. Well, if, an, if something new is coming, then it means that there's a deficiency in the old. I need to get a new one. 
If we say, oh, I need to get a new this or I need to get a new that, it's because there's something wrong with it. It's worn out. It's not working properly. It has holes in it. Whatever the reason might be for the new. Well, if the Lord says I'm going to do something new, then he's saying there is something deficient in the old. Now, in this case, the deficiency was the people who had to interact with it. <clears throat> Jesus introduced this new covenant. Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. So that we are under the new covenant today. This new thing that the writer of Hebrews is talking about has come into place, and so we are no longer under the old. For some, it's like, well, how do we know we don't keep the old covenant? You just read it. This is why. Because the old has passed away, the new has come. Let's keep reading in verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, and the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the, out of the land of Egypt. And here's the problem. Because they did not continue in my covenant. The covenant was okay. But they didn't remain loyal in that covenant. They had a wandering heart. And so the Lord wants to give a covenant that's going to address the heart. They had the law. And the law was written upon what? Stone tablets. Here it is. Here's your document. But he did not change the heart of man. And that was the deficiency. That was the fault that existed. Our hearts weren't changed. And because we did not continue in the covenant, <coughs> Israel, God said, I disregarded them. There were consequences for disobeying the covenant. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make. So what's the new covenant? With the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. So if they had wandering hearts before, let me solve the problem. Let me write upon their heart. Let me change their hearts so that they will follow me. If you turn into Jeremiah 31, and we just read the first uh, two verses of that, 31 and 32. But I want to read it, the whole section of Jeremiah 31. We read, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They're going to be loyal. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is repeated again in Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20. I'll let you read that on your own. But the point is, when the new covenant comes, God says, I will write upon the hearts of my people. And they're going to follow me. They're going to obey me. The realities of what we live in today, the new covenant, goes so much deeper and so much further than the law. You see, some will say, well, if the law is passed away, then are we lawless? Absolutely not. The law is written upon our heart. 
And what is written upon our heart will always go much deeper and much further than what is written upon a document. That's what love does. A changed heart is going to be much more concerned. You see, a changed heart, the Spirit of God coming and speaking and dwelling within you. You know, I'll give you one example. Well, in the Old Covenant, there was a tithe. But under the New Covenant, what does the Lord say? Whatever he wants to say to you on that matter, right? And he speaks to you by the Spirit. And so you can go much further in that regard or any other matter. You're not looking and saying, oh, did I, did I do my proper amount? Because what does Paul say? Determine in your heart what you will give to the Lord. Because God's writing upon your heart. How do I live my life? How do I serve him? What's my attitude supposed to be like? You know, so the, the law upon our hearts goes so much further and so much deeper. So no, it's, we're not lawless. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite. Now our hearts are completely connected and are to be loyal with him. I will be their God and they shall be my people at the end of verse 10. There's an allegiance. There's a loyalty that exists between followers of Jesus Christ today compared to the followers of the old covenant. Were they held accountable to follow? Absolutely. He was good and kind to them. But you have a different experience. I have a different experience. Now the Spirit of God is writing upon my heart. And I feel compelled to follow him. Here, Paul writing to Titus gives an example of what this heart will be like now. Verse 14, who gave himself, Jesus, for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. What does it look like to see a person who's entered into the new covenant and God has inscribed upon their heart, wrote upon their heart and given them a heart of flesh and not a heart of a stone? It's a person that's on fire and fanatical. They are zealous for Jesus. I've got to live for him. I've got to follow him. And, and this is the thing. If you have experienced a conversion, if you've experienced this new covenant upon your heart and your life, then who's going to hold you back? Who's going to stop you from following Jesus with passion and with zeal? Who has to tell you to be zealous for the Lord? Because the Lord himself teaches you. You feel it within yourself. It is in your mind. Now, we have to be obedient to that. And we have to yield to that. 1 John 3, 9 and 10 says that if you've been born of God, you're not going to sin. Why? For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. Does that mean we can never, ever sin? We will never live in a lifestyle of sin. There may be a time where you sin. There may be even a season. But to find a person who just lives in sin... That does not make new covenant sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense because you've been changed. And if you're like, I don't know if I agree with you. I mean, I'm a Christian and I sin all the time and it doesn't bother me. Really? It doesn't bother you. You're okay with it. You can roll through life and it doesn't upset your day. I, I, I've got news for you. I don't think God's written upon your heart yet. Because what I read here, what you read, is that you're going to have a heart for the Lord. That you're not going to be able to live in sin. 
This idea that says, hey, I came to Christ and now I can live however I want to. I don't think you got a Bible verse for that. You may have a podcast, but you don't have a Bible verse. The Lord calls us to follow him. Look at verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. I mean, do, do you hear this? The Spirit of God so overtakes our lives in the new covenant, you don't need to have somebody. Now, the Lord has put guys like me in your life and sisters like her and a brother like him in your life to exhort you. But the reality is you don't need it because God himself is saying, know me. You feel the work of the Spirit of God. 1 John 2, 26 and 27 talks about the anointing we have and that we have no need that anyone should teach us. Jesus declared in John 14 that he would make our hearts his home and that he would manifest himself to us. This is the product of the new covenant. The spirit of the living God dwelling in you. Revealing himself to you. This is what we read in those verses. So those that have truly experienced a new covenant encounter with the Lord are going to have a wonderful knowledge of God. This is what we read here. This is what we're talking about. Verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So the uh, mercy and forgiveness that is found under the new covenant surpasses that which is found under the old. As John wrote about it, he put it this way. In chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace... For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Or Romans 5, 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see the mercy and you see the grace that's found. So what's the summary of it all? Well, there it is in verse 13. And that he says, a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Those that want to cling to the law don't understand the book of Hebrews. They don't understand the new covenant. Well, I think we should keep part of it. Really, what part of it do you think we should keep? Because we're told that if we don't continue in all things, that we're guilty. If you break one of the least of the commandments, you're guilty of how much of the law? So you want to go back and you want to try and be a law keeper? You want to try and keep the law of Moses? Well, you're not doing it. You haven't gone to the temple and you haven't offered up sacrifices. When's the last time you took your sacrifice to the temple? You know, you can't do it. It's impossible to do it. You can't do this. And yet you can, some will find so much pride in the fact that it's like, well, I don't go to church on Sunday. And that's your big accomplishment for the 600 and something commandments found in the laws. You don't go to church on Sunday and you think somehow you're, you're living in la-la land. You're not keeping the law. You can't keep the law. 
And so there's a, you know, well, I don't believe we keep the ceremonial parts of the law. I don't believe we keep the civil parts of the law. But I believe we keep the moral parts of the law. So you want to divide the law. You don't divide the law. It's an indivisible unit. And what we read about the law is that it is what? Obsolete. Don't go back into the law. You're not going to keep it. Enjoy the benefit and the glory of the new covenant. Now here it is. These believers were focused upon the physical that was right in front of them. A priest, a sacrifice, a tabernacle. That's nice and clean. I, I can see the priest, I can see the sacrifice, and I can see the tabernacle. And the Lord is saying, but I have done something new. These things are all shadows. There's a reality that I want you to cling to. And so for us as believers living many you know, centuries here later, again, that point that I made that I said we come back to, we can begin to live for the physical and we don't esteem the spiritual. How is it that if we have this amazing salvation that we can struggle so much in our walks with God? And I, and I will say this. If you are a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ, the reason for the struggle whether it's in my life or it's in yours or his or hers, is because we are not stewarding the work of the Spirit in our life. We are told in Ephesians that we should not grieve the Spirit of God. In 1 Thessalonians, we're told not to quench the Spirit. We can quench and we can grieve the Spirit of God who's written upon our hearts and dwells within us we can grieve and we can quench so that he does not do the full work that he desires to do in our life. So let's just come out with it. What quenches and what grieves? I think one thing that we can say for certain is our sin. It's our carnality. You know, if, if you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you're having sex with them or you're living in, you know, out your lust day after day, you're, you're walking in bitterness and unforgiveness, you're unwilling to, to hear the voice of the Lord and obey, you are grieving the Spirit of God. And so everything we just read about is not coming and you're not experiencing the reality of it. And, and that's on you. That's not on the covenant. And that's not even what God has done in your life. It's what you have done. It's what I do. When I begin to emphasize the physical, I've got to live for my job. I've got to live for the reality. I've got to live for this thing that's in front of me. No, we don't. We choose to do that. The Lord has said, seek ye first my kingdom. The Lord has said that my kingdom is not of this world. And he's called us to follow him and live for him. And when we are constantly setting our mind upon the shadows of this earthly existence, we don't engage in the reality of the Christian life. And there's nobody that can change that in your life or in my life but ourselves. We have to repent. We have to find those things that are quenching and drying up the work of the Spirit that we just so beautifully read of. And you've got to give way for it. Yeah, but what's going to happen? Good stuff is going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Well, i got to know. Well, then you're probably not going to experience it then. 
Because if you got to know, you're, you're, the Lord says, walk by faith, not by what? Sight. And we continue to emphasize, well, if I see this and I get that accomplished, th then I'm going to get involved in that stuff. No, you won't. Because the enemy hears that thought in your mind and he will make certain that you obtaining whatever that is that you got to get in place before you really follow the Lord. He's going to always make certain that it's one more element away. It's one more decision away. It's one more day. It's, it's one more project. It's, it's one more, you know, promotion. It's, it's one more, you know, uh, week or month with that person or in this circumstance. And then I'm going to get it right. But it will never come. You've got to make the decision in your, or your own heart that you're done with those things. And that you want what the Lord has. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven. This is what I'm talking about. There's, there's, a shadow, there's shadows all around us. There's things that, that seem like they will make us happy and full and, and accomplished. But, but scripture says, no, set your sight on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. I mean, I don't know if we can fully comprehend that. I'm going to share in all of his glory? And this is why we live for that which is eternal. This is why we live for that which is heaven's priorities. And you don't have to guess. We've got a Bible. You have the spirit of the living God teaching you and informing you on how to live and what to do with your life. But you got to do the last thing he told you to do. I mean, you've got a Bible. Follow it. Obey it. And as you do that, the Lord is going to lead you and he's going to guide you. Into one glorious thing after another glorious thing until one day you'll experience and share in all his glory. Why would we live for this present world? Because it's what we can see. It's what we can touch. It's what we can handle. And we are no different than those Hebrews that were being, uh, Hebrew brothers and sisters that were being tempted to, to just walk away from it all. It's different, but the application point, I think, is quite similar. So are you living for the reality of heaven, or are you living for the things of earth? And are we allowing the Spirit of God to be grieved in our heart? You know, I know the Bible tells us we're living in the last days. This is what the Bible says. And if you look around at the world, there are plenty of things to tell us that Jesus can come back at any minute. Well, we don't know when he's going to come back. Which should not cause us to say, well, then I'll wait till I know. Because you're not going to know the day or the hour of the Lord's return. We must simply live for him. So let's talk to the Lord. Worship team can come on out. And I want us just to think for a moment. Are there things in your life that are grieving the Spirit of God? Let's just let's do business with the Lord right now.
Maybe it's your speech. Maybe it is those things that I've already mentioned. Do not measure the effectiveness and the depth of the new covenant while you live in sin because you're not experiencing it. You're not allowing, God is grieved, and so you're not experiencing the fullness of it. So what are those things you need to lay down right now? Maybe it isn't something that you would call sin. It's just, you're just caught up on the things of this earth. The realities of heaven has not had much priority in your heart and your life. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the generation that experiences these things. And so it's time for us to be done with the lesser things. The familiar things. Lord, forgive us as those that are the recipients of the long-awaited promise of the Messiah. Forgive us, O Lord, that we are getting caught up with the things of this world. Lord, help us to lay aside those things that grieve your spirit. And Lord, we pray and ask that as we come and we eat and we drink of this bread and this cup that reminds us of your broken body and your spilled blood, that you say this is the new covenant that you inaugurated. Lord, may you fall upon us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we repent of those things that grieve you, as we lay down those things that just are placing our priorities elsewhere, Lord, may your Spirit fall afresh upon us. Lord, we need you. We need your full working in our life. 